VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hello, this is the Game Podcast from The Times on day two of Euro 2020. Tonight, there's a harrowing moment for Denmark's Christian Eriksen as the world watches on. Wales show some fight as they look to replicate their exploits of 2016. Romelu Lukaku's on fire. And there's a special message for the England fans. All that and more coming on today's episode of the Game Euro 2020. This is Hugh Wasencroft in Baku, bringing you daily episodes of the game podcast throughout the tournament. So make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times right now for less than a pound a day. Go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game, and you can start your free trial. With me on day two, Molly Hudson, Ian Hawkey, and Jonathan Northcroft. Guys, how are you? Hi, Hugh. Good, thanks. Well, we have to begin by discussing the awful scenes at the Denmark versus Finland game. Inter Milan and former Spurs midfielder Christian Eriksen is awake in a hospital after he collapsed on the pitch. UEFA say his condition has stabilised. The Danish Football Association say he is doing well. But Molly, you were reporting on this match. This was, well, it was just scary to watch. It was, and I think it was, it was one of those where Maybe initially nobody was quite sure what had happened because uh, on the broadcast we we just saw Ericsson sort of prone lying on the floor. Um, it it quickly became clear how quite how serious it was. Anthony Taylor, obviously English referee, um, very quickly signalled for medical attention, and Denmark captain Simon Kier. Um, acted so quickly to to ensure that Ericsson didn't swallow his tongue, make sure he was in the recovery position as the medics came onto the pitch. Um, and then just sort of one of the most, you know, iconic is the, the wrong word, but I suppose emotional moments was, was just watching all of the, the Denmark players surround Ericsson as he was laid on the floor. Obviously, they were... Um, doing CPR on him and the, the Denmark teams all surrounded him to protect from, from the broadcasters and the cameras because what was obviously a clearly extremely serious medical emergency was sort of being broadcast to the, the millions of, of people watching and it, it was just that instinct to protect him as much as they possibly could in that moment. Johnny, for a lot of people reacting, at least on social media from what I've seen here in Azerbaijan, there was a moment of, of reflection. What on earth are the players doing out there anyway? Lots of people say suddenly remembering not just, of course, what was happening with Christian Eriksen, but what's been going on across the globe as well. And maybe thinking after a long season that this wasn't necessary. What was your reaction? Yeah, that was that, that was how I felt. Um, I, I thought in those dreadful minutes, um, long minutes, um, where we were waiting for, for desperately for news of, of, of what happened to to Ericsson that really all you could do is reflect on on how the this tournament and, and and you know these games that we play they just don't really they just don't really matter they don't they don't for me anyway that's that's how I felt and um it, it, it was the it was the human scenes it was it was the Danish players surrounding their friend and protecting him Kasper Schmeichel uh, and, and Simon Kerr consoling his 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 wife 
um, and, and just the sheer horror and trauma. And, and I, I felt uncomfortable, really, um, that the game restarted. I, 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 it's a, maybe it's a personal thing, but if um, if the day's football had just been abandoned there and then, I'd, I'd have been comfortable with that. I, I, I think, as you say here, there's been a lot going into this tournament about how after this year that the world's had, football almost needs to heal everything and so on. I feel there's too much placed on the game and too much placed on sport at times and and it doesn't matter. You know, what, what matters tonight is is that Christian Eriksen is okay. Um, and I, I thought the words that the, the Danish coach, Kasper Hulman, said in, in his press conference were kind of beautiful, really, you know, and, and just said that, that it was a moment that, that reminds you about the important things in life, which are meaningful relationships and the people close to us. And, and I think he was, that refers to his own team. I think they, I don't want to sound, come up with some horrible cliche line, but they, they were winners. I mean, the, the, the humanity and the spirit of, of that team really took my breath away. And, and uh, I, I, my heart goes out to all of them tonight. And particularly Ericsson, but all of them, because it must be a very traumatic experience for all of those on that football pitch. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. Helmand also said in his press conference that there were two options to play the game this evening as we speak or tomorrow. Um, that being Sunday at midday, everyone agreed to play today. Uh, you can't play a game with such feelings, though. We tried to win. It was incredible that they managed to go out and try to play the second half. He also added later for context that there was no pressure from UEFA and it was just honestly best to get the game over with. Ian, do you think uh, UEFA should have just suspended the game for this evening, have the fans leave the ground in Copenhagen and, and come back on Sunday to finish it? Well, I, I think... If, if if we believe the the Danish head coach and and from what we've heard of the the players they were they were allowed to take the initiative on this and in which case UEFA have behaved very reasonably um, and if and if the initiative really did come from the the players um, I think you have to respect that and I think in the context of those players being in a stadium with fans playing for their national team after so long, I, I think you can sympathise with the instinct after the last 18 months that, that there is something very reassuring about routine and it, it, trite as it may sound, you know, this, this, this drive that the show must go on. And if they had the important endorsement from Christian Eriksen, in terms at least of his health and by some accounts, you know, his actual conscious go ahead, um, then, then, then I think really it is, it is, you know, they are the most important people in making that decision. Um, and, and if UEFA really didn't put any pressure on, yeah, good for UEFA. Molly, there are also some nice moments, emotional moments, the, the Denmark and the Finland fans chanting Christian, then Ericsson back and forth as he was out on the pitch. Also, his Inter Milan teammate as Belgium played this evening, Romelu Lukaku, running to the TV cameras after scoring a goal saying, Chris, I love you. Stay strong. There was a feeling, a sentiment tonight of the football family being united again. There was, and I think there's there's almost that point that I completely take what, what Johnny's saying there about the fact that, you know, did it really need to be played? I personally felt the same way. It was very, very strange watching the second half. 
But but on the other hand, you sort of did see the football family come together and you saw, you know, particularly those fans that, that haven't seen football for, you know, however many months. And I think they were just so sort of together with the players in that moment. And you can completely see why the players wanted to, to carry on and, and do it for them, do it for Christian. Um, and I think that that is the, the positive of all this, I suppose, was the way that football did come together, the teammates came together for, for their friend. And I think that's what, you know, as, as much as you know, Christian's health, which is the most important thing, that's what we'll also remember this from, that, you know, everyone involved in football are people at the end of the day. They're not just, you know, these players, these robots that we watch. They all have feelings and, and you know, that's, that's what we'll take away from this. I have to admit that I did not witness it as the game was on. I was still on my way um, back to my hotel after the match in, in Baku between Wales and Switzerland. But I was getting dozens of messages from people saying, this is absolutely horrific. You know, this is so sad. This is awful. My partner, friends, you know, colleagues saying things to me about Christian Eriksen. I just couldn't believe what I was receiving on my phone. And the, and the way that it was being discussed to me, I thought it was the worst possible outcome really the words were so so strong but uh, I did see again on social media apologies from people at the BBC uh, about the broadcast Jonathan I, I don't know if you were watching on TV I was was it as as bad as it sounds I am um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I maybe I mean I feel there's a need that people, I think that a lot of that was on social media and there's a need to people seem to feel a need to lash out when something traumatic happens and and the BBC were, 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 I guess, on the receiving end because so many people felt uncomfortable. And um, I look, I, I don't know what the, the right answer is because I'm, I'm not a TV producer. Um, I did feel that they, they did linger on the pitch for too long and um, they sort of panned in on, on Ericsson's partner and and so on and and then sort of went back to the to Shellshock studio and then, cut away very quickly. It was odd, but I'm not, you know, I, I think it was hard for everybody. I think maybe if they'd done the other thing, then, then you know, if they just stopped the broadcast there and then there'd have been another reaction. I, 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 I see it as part of, of the need to, to lash out. I mean, what was clear, of course, was that the Danish players were surrounding Ericsson and, and trying to keep the cameras away. And, and I guess... You know, as Ian and Molly have said, we should sort of take the lead from the players, and that was probably the the clue that the the TV should have taken to 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 not be to not be showing that. Um, in, but it's just enormously enormously difficult um, for everyone, I think, and, and probably for. I mean, you could see in the studio, Alex Scott and Cesc Fabregas and and, and and Michael were just. You know, it, it was an impossible. Um, situation for them broadcasting as well. Well, we wish Christian Eriksen all the best, of course, his uh, teammates as well, and uh, anyone involved with Tottenham Hotspur, all the Spurs fans, but of course his club and his country and his family and friends in particular, and hopefully he's back out on the pitch and well uh, sometime soon. Uh, let's move on, though, to the events of, of the footballing events, I guess, on the pitch elsewhere. I know the Danes lost their opening match 1-0 and lots of people had them as an an outside bet. But as we heard from their manager, I think it was a very difficult situation for their players today. Elsewhere here in Baku, um, 
Well, let's talk about Wales against Switzerland. Great spirit and determination to fight back from a goal down uh, for Wales against Switzerland. They rescued a point in Group A, but it was really for many seen as a must-win game. Uh, Ian, what did you make of the match between Wales and Switzerland? Um, well, I can. We, we could take the Robert Page view, which was was extremely um, valiantly positive afterwards. Um, but Wales, Wales have played much better. We've all seen Wales play much better than they did yesterday. Yes, it was very hot. Um, but for the for the huge middle chunk of the game, they were they were so far second best. Um, I mean, you were there, Hugh, but that was certainly certainly my view. Um, but but they came back from a goal down. Um, their goalkeeper was was excellent, Danny Ward, um, and I suppose. In a way, their strategy paid off because the target man did it for them in the end with a with a very very skillful target man goal. Um, there will be there will be some players who know they can do much better. The captain, for instance. Um, but I guess given what had happened the night before, they can look with some optimism at the possibility of four points after two games. If they can, if they can beat a slightly shell shocked Turkey, and then four points after two games is a very good position to be in in this competition. So, so yeah, I think I think they, you know, I think they they've salvaged quite a lot from that. And and you know, coming back coming back in in that fierce heat is something. There was a sense of positivity at the full time whistle, mainly because of how the game had gone rather than the result itself, because Wales were dominated for long periods and ultimately got a goal which they conceded from a set piece, but also got their own from a set piece later in the game. But um, but I think the reality is they really should have had more of it. I think uh, Aaron Ramsey, especially Gareth Bale, really, really peripheral. But actually, Vladimir Petkovic, the Switzerland boss, Jonathan, is probably the reason that Switzerland didn't win this game because he took off Jordan Shakiri when they were in the ascendancy. The Liverpool man was not happy about that. Bringing on a holding midfielder and really handing the initiative to the Welsh, what was he thinking? I, it was an odd one because they were they were cutting through Wales um, quite easily in midfield, and there were more chances for them to be had. And I didn't see any any great sort of danger from from Welsh counter attack. I mean, there was Daniel James's pace, but um, it did hand a bit of initiative. Perhaps there's a physical element because Shakiri's not played a lot of. A lot of football, but I actually thought Robert Page probably got it wrong because David Brooks should have should have been on a lot earlier. Wales lacked a bit of craft in the game. It might be a problem for them the sort of playing with Bale and Ramsey and, and almost having to keep them on the pitch because of their, their reputations because neither actually merited really staying on. And Brooks gave them a bit of impetus. And actually, maybe Daniel James shouldn't have been the one to to come off. Um, but as Ian said, a, a point's actually a good result and, and four points gets you through. So um, they can they can put that one behind them and, and they're off and running in the in the tournament. Molly, looking ahead to their game against Turkey, do you think Wales can take all three points? I think it's a difficult one because um, Turkey didn't look great at all last night. Um, but that could well have been the result of Italy just being sort of such a better team. And I think maybe it will, it will be one of those where whoever can start the most and get the first goal in that game will take such confidence from it, given the way that the, the first games panned out for each of them. So I think, you know, making a good start in that one, it's such a cliche, but I think that will be sort of more important than ever for both of them because it's such a crucial game. 
I've got to say, Baku is actually allowed to have almost 32,000 fans inside the Olympic Stadium. And I think in the end, it was about six and a half and it felt like even less in such a massive, massive stadium. But there will be, I believe, at least plenty of fans from Azerbaijan and Turkey who will be supporting the Turks because it isn't too far away. They're neighbours, of course, but also many people who live in this country have Turkish heritage. It just remains to be seen whether they're enthused enough by the competition to actually buy tickets for the event because that seems to be the problem here in Azerbaijan. We They hold lots of sporting events, but it doesn't seem like the locals are too interested. So it remains to be seen. But look, if it is like a home game for Turkey, I think I'd, I'd make them favourites. And I wouldn't be too encouraged if I was a Wales fan, I hate to say it, although there was lots of fight, spirit, determination, like I say. They were a little bit off in terms of quality, even against Switzerland. And I think in the end, a point is a result that they would take and they would have taken it going in. But we'll see if Wales can improve on that on Wednesday. Uh, Let's look at Belgium next. The world number one side. They made their debut in Euro 2020 with a 3-0 win against Russia. Romelu Lukaku with a couple of goals. All those people that backed him to be the top goal scorer. Absolutely delighted already. And there was a golfing class in this one, I think. Ian, I'll start with you. What did you make of it? Well, yeah, just quickly congratulate Johnny because I believe he is one of the several million people who backed Romelu Lukaku <laughs> the leading goal scorer in the tournament. Um, uh, yes, I mean, it would it, very one-sided, possibly more one-sided even than, than Italy, uh, Turkey. Yeah, I mean, they're a very, very accomplished uh, side, Belgium, and and they, they know to channel a lot through... Uh, Lukaku and, and and I guess the satisfying thing for Roberto Martinez will be that they they can get better. Um, Eden Hazard came on and there was there was just one little lovely little turn cameo from Hazard, which uh, I think if you like watching Hazard, that 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 sort of was that was uplifting um, and hopeful that you know he actually may play a part in this tournament. And of course, Kevin De Bruyne may come back. Um, so I, yeah, he can only be satisfied. Except there was an injury to Thomas Castagna early mm. on, which which is a problem. But then you know another another very able right back came on and scored a goal. Um, so yeah, yeah, they you know they really look look in total command, and and this puts them in in a very strong position in the group. And because of the way the tournament works, they can they can start thinking about pacing themselves, which is, and just going back to Robert Page here with with some sympathy, these managers are really, really concerned about pacing their resources, you know, conserving players. Also, you know, seeing if players are are, are at a stage in their momentum to be ready to play. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, more than any other tournament I can remember because of the circumstances. I think, I think preserving stamina and, and programming the capacities of players is 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 so preoccupying for most managers. I look at the Belgium team and there were big players missing to Brenner, of course. You mentioned Hazard came off the bench as well. Whether there's another gear there, um, whether even with the 3-0 win against Russia, we're not going to see the best of Belgium for quite some time in this competition. Molly, what do you think? Are they the side that in many ways, we, especially given what they've done in recent tournaments and this feeling that they may have be been botless really, you know, fallen shorter than they really that their quality sort of deserved. Um, whether this is the tournament that we're going to see the biggest sort of leap from a team, a big team, especially in Belgium. 
with the early disclaimer that I didn't see any of tonight's game because I was <laughs> liking the other one, um, I think it, there's been a lot of talk about this sort of golden generation with Belgium and the idea that maybe this could be their sort of last, you know, last tournament to really make a good go of it. And I think what what's difficult to sort of say is you look at a team like France who have the same amount of quality, you know, strength and depth, arguably more, and they have that experience of winning. And I think that's maybe what Belgium have sort of lacked, obviously com- coming in as the, the best ranked team. But when you actually get down to it, get down to the tournament, get down to those really big games, you know, can they deliver? We know they have the kind of quality that can brush aside teams like Russia, you know, as they did today. But actually when they come up against one of the much better teams, one of the favourites to, to win the whole tournament. It's a case of actually those fine margins, that experience, that winning, do they, do they really have that? And I think maybe that's where the team has fallen short, you know, because nobody would argue that they've fallen short on sort of individual quality because they've got absolutely bags of it. You almost sound like you're talking about England there. And the one thing that I think England might... Uh, fall short on, we'll talk about them in a few moments time as well, is the quality of the manager. Now, this is one of the things that I think I question with Belgium quite a lot. And I know a lot of people are fans of Roberto Martinez, but I think there is still a feeling with them as well that their manager isn't quite up to the level of some of the players that he has at his disposal. Jonathan, is he going to be what holds them back? Hmm. <laughs> I guess a bit harsh on a manager who's taking it's just this a question to work. Well, you know, they're world number ones. They've been there for, th- for three years. They've only lost one game since 2018. That was against England, and England were really lucky to to, to win that one. So, um, I, I think I think I think Roberto's doing doing quite well. Um, I uh, I, think, I think one thing he does do is he, he's got huge sort of confidence in players, and he transmits that to them. And he played an important part in Lukaku's development at Everton. But as an international striker, I mean, I think Lukaku scored about 40 goals for Martinez. Of his sixty-two, um, I'm glad Ian's noted that you know I, I, I managed <laughs> to spot spot that talent ahead of everyone else. You know, after six, I had him captain of my Euros fantasy league team today, but I don't entirely understand the rules. But I think it's I think it, I think it was quite a good good move, and I loved his performance because he he's, he he still doesn't look the most sort of um, gainly striker, if that's even a word. You know, there's something slightly kind of untidy about him. But even is everything's actually almost perfect. He just he just does it untidily. I mean, his finish was nice, but I was watching some of his passes around the box, and you know it's kind of slightly cumbersome. But bang, it goes right to the the teammates' feet. Really intelligent footballer, really sort of accomplished player these days. And with De Bruyne coming back, um, I mean Tielemans, you know, my goodness, an absolute prince of a footballer, just ran the show today, um, and. The, 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 the question for them, I think, don't think it's Martinez. I actually just think it's, are those old centre-backs going to really be up to it if they come up against, let's say, an Mbappe? Um, but I think it'll take a team of France's standard to to put Belgium out of this tournament. Yeah, I think with the three points today, it's virtually one foot into the knockout stages. Uh, given how many teams will be going through for Belgium, don't think there's going to be any worries with them in this group. And we will talk about them, of course, uh, plenty more as the competition progresses. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. 
That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Finally, we sit here on the eve of England's opening match at a major tournament. We, of course, know what attention that does garner. Remember, the first game of a major tournament isn't great for England. They've only won two of their last nine. So usually by Monday morning, I think we're going to be talking, you know, some maybe some negative headlines. I hate to say it. Maybe already, of course something that's a major distraction I think has been the taking of the knee in terms of newspaper headlines taking it away from the football and the FA this evening issuing a message to their supporters they say England's senior men's team begins their campaign at home at Wembley Stadium major tournaments don't come around often when they do it's an important opportunity to unite friends family and the country but they go on to say that the team has reiterated many times they'll collectively take the knee against the discrimination, injustice and inequality. It's a gesture of unity, they say, fighting against inequality that can be traced as far back as the 18th century. And they have reiterated once again that they do not view this as being aligned to any political organisation or ideology. Ian, do you believe that we'll still be talking about the booing of England's players come Monday morning? Perhaps what we should be talking about is the booing of Belgium's players this evening. Mm. By by quite a big crowd in Russia, for what what appeared to be exactly the same reason, um, which uh, uh, you know, I, 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 we probably weren't bowled over by surprise that that happened, but um, you know, it is it is it's it's catching on very very sadly. Um, will we still be talking about it with England? Um, I hope, and I genuinely believe not. By by the time we're into the second week of the tournament, I think um, I think it will pass, and I and I, I genuinely hope that there will be uh, a more mature attitude towards it. And and you know, people will uh, will, as we were talking about with uh, with the players of Denmark and Finland earlier, that there will be some respect for uh, the players' right to make decisions for themselves and and trust them to make decisions for reasons which aren't going to be glossed with other people's ideas about what they might signify. Where do you get your faith from in this? Um, that, that's, that's that I believe, uh, you know, the England team is very inspiring and that people go to watch it because they are inspired by this team and the individuals in it. You don't share that faith, Hugh, do you? No, not necessarily, because um, I do think it was a small minority, to be perfectly honest. And I think there will be a feeling inside Wembley that, hold on a minute, this is a major tournament and we all want the team to win. Can't you just be quiet for a little bit? And I don't think as much as some people have booed, there are some that don't want to be a pariah, particularly a major tournament at home. Um, to those around them, I think there'll be a really small amount of booing that will be immediately 
um, sort of drowned out by the cheering because, of course, people will be ready to, to cheer and applaud uh, given what's happened in recent weeks as well. Um, so, yeah, but I, I, I don't know if people will make the explicit decision that they've changed their minds on it given what the FA have said to them and the video that they've put out on their social media feed as well tonight. I'm not sure they've they've necessarily been convinced by what's said to them. I just think there will probably be less booing because it's it's a major tournament at home and, and fans maybe don't want to feel like they're projecting that that negativity. Um, but you, no, I don't share your faith to answer the question more directly. Molly, do you share Ian's faith? No, I, uh, I think I agree with you in, in a sense that it, that it was a small minority and I think it will continue to be a small minority. But the problem with that minority is that it's loud and you can hear it. And therefore, when you can hear it, we have a duty to report on it. And therefore, I think, you know, we will still be talking about it. And, you know, I like to think in the same way as you, Hugh, that, you know, the majority of those there will kind of drown it out with, with positivity. But I also think that we'd be a bit naive to think that, you know, the FA releasing this statement is going to make a great deal of difference if we really felt that, that those booing didn't already know that this wasn't the reason they were kneeling. You know, by now we've been told, you know, so many times the reason they're kneeling and it's nothing to do with, you know, a political organisation or Marxism or whatever, you know, these people want to justify their booing with. And I think, you know, that the FA saying that isn't going to change a great deal. Of course, they, ha- they have to say that. But I don't think, you know, I think that small minority will continue to boo regardless of what is said. And I think maybe they're just sort of not understanding the reasons why it's so important to, to unite behind the team and understand that, you know, it, it, it's those players' decision and, and that, you know, if you're an England fan, you, you support what they're doing, I suppose. Um, so, you know, my heart likes to think that we won't be talking about it, but <laughs> my head is very much in the case that, yeah, we, we probably will be. Jonathan, what do you think? Uh, two questions for you, really, because the first one is if you agree with either Ian or Molly, but the second one, of course, is that Scotland were going to be standing before their matches, but now in their game against England at Wembley, they've decided to, to, to kneel in solidarity, really. Um, what do you make of their decision, Scotland, and what do you think will happen on Sunday at Wembley? Yeah. Well, I mean, to give you the context about Scotland, I think it's been misinterpreted. The, the decision to stop kneeling was actually, in, in some ways, doubling down on a, a, a protest against racism because um, it, it was in the wake of the Rangers-Slavia-Prague game um, where the Rangers players, um, you know, felt on, on behalf of of Glenn Kamara, who was racially abused, that, you know, the way the whole thing was dealt with just signified that all the gestures that are being made and, and appeals to the authorities um, don't, don't necessarily get through. And, and you know, they, they felt being taken for granted for wearing T-shirts, taking the knee, all that kind of stuff. So it was actually a reaction to that. And it wasn't saying we don't think it's important. It was actually saying we we, 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 we want to do something else because the message isn't getting through. So... Um, I think it's. I'm, I'm really pleased, just for the sake of clarity, because it would get misinterpreted that that that, that they they are going to join the England players and show that solidarity. Um, but if if but in other games they may not take the knee, but they will be making a gesture about uh, a similar protesting against injustice and inequality and discrimination. So. Um, I think that's important to understand. And yeah, look, I, I, I suppose I, I agree with Molly. I think 
with England fans, there will still, still be a section that boo. I've been following England professionally for 20 years. That In all that time, fans um, have sung no surrender, no matter um, you know what, what's happened um, in society or relations with Ireland or whatever. There's, there's, a, there's a minority that want to, um, I, I, I suppose, uh, espouse a certain type of politics. I don't know why. I don't understand it, but it, it is attached to the England team and I think it will still be there. And if they continue to boo, the England players will continue to take their stand. Um, and I thought that, and I thought, I thought the video and the statement that um, England made tonight was very powerful. The video, I'd recommend anyone watch. It's, it's unflinching. Um, they, they show images of uh, you know racial abuse on social media that players have to put up with. They show the players being booed, taking the knee. They confront this head on, and they say, you know, we 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 hear the comments, we see the emojis, we we hear the boos, and we're going to stand together. And that's all they can do. They can just keep standing together and confronting it head on. And I think that there's a lot of resolve in that squad. I don't think this is going to distract them at all, distract anybody. I think if anything, it will keep making them them, them stronger. Um, we may just stop reporting on this because it might just become um, a smaller and smaller minority, but I think the minority will, will still be there. Let's talk about the game very, very quickly. There are about a million questions I could ask <laughs> you about England versus Croatia. I could ask you about Jack Grealish. I could ask you who your back three will be, what your system should be. I just want to know what you're hoping for on Sunday. Ian, I'll start with you. I'm hoping that uh, that England will, as I've <laughs> said, inspire all their fans in the stadium to get <laughs> right behind them for the rest of the tournament. Um, uh, but but I but I also I feel optimistic. I think I think they are um, a more vibrant team overall than than Croatia. Um, I think I think they will they will approach the the game positively. Um, and and I think you know home advantage will be important. And I think there's a you know there's a lot of players out there with with a lot to prove and a lot of a lot of desire to to make this their tournament. Um, and I and I and I think that the in terms of the the opposition, I think the axis has moved a little bit. I think England are more on the up. Croatia are less obviously rejuvenated than England since since three years ago. So so yeah, I, I think England will put on a We'll put on a good show without without completely taking the handbrake off, and I and I think England will win. Molly, what are you hoping to see at Wembley on Sunday when the game starts? I think I just want to see how Gareth Southgate balances the team because I think maybe the you know we, we look at the defence and say yeah maybe that's a problem area getting into the latter stages of the tournament, but ultimately whether England can score enough goals and create enough is going to be down to. Which of those creative players, you know, the Mason Mounts, Jack Grealish, Phil Foden, how many of those can we actually get on the pitch without sacrificing ourselves in terms of defending, in terms of that midfield balance? And I think that's maybe the the thing that we'll see the most because you 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 know you, you look at the warm up games and how much can you actually read into them? Various players have been injured or out of the team for whatever reason. Nothing, you know. First game of the tournament, you've got decent opposition against Croatia and it's a really good opportunity to see, you know, maybe uh, how many of those players will be in that starting eleven, and and maybe, you know, how proactive, uh, how attacking that team will be because maybe against Croatia, you know, last time there was there was more of a sort of emphasis on 
the defence when a lot of people are quite excited about the, the young attacking talents we have this time around. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that pans out. Finally, Jonathan, what are you hoping to see at Wembley? Don't say an England defeat. <laughs> no, listen, I hope, I, hope, I hope to see England go on the front foot, play with speed, move the ball quickly, um, press Croatia quickly. Um, Molly's right, they have to have balance, but they don't have the defensive players to contain Croatia. I think they've got to I think they've got to go at them. I'd love to see Grealish play, I fear he might not. But even if he doesn't, they've got enough attacking options um to, to push Croatia back. And they must do that because if they're passive in the game, Croatia will control it and, and they'll get picked off again. I don't think they'll be passive and, and, and I, I think they, they, they're they going to just about sneak something. I just want to see Grealish start, to be honest, to respond to your point. I'll be happy with anything else that happens. If he doesn't pick him, then I'll be hammering him on the next episode of the Game Podcast. Jonathan Northcroft, uh, Ian Hawkey, Molly Hudson, thank you very much for being with me on day two. Plenty more to come on day three of Euro 2020. Of course, England, Croatia in action, Austria and North Macedonia and the Netherlands taking on Ukraine. We'll talk about tomorrow's action very very soon and of course remember if you're enjoying the podcast give us a five-star review on apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting your podcast from and make sure you are subscribed to that and to the times and sunday times as well right now you can get it for less than one pound per day just search the times.co.uk forward slash the game and you will get yourself a free try we will see you in about 24 hours see you soon helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.